see the world. With these, she says, with these four eyes. Um, How do you see the world? See, I think most of us see the world um, from the perspective of, of, of our lives. We're on the inside looking out. And the things that are most important to us, the big things in the world, are the things that are immediately around us. If you got to hear Pastor Avery preach a fantastic sermon this morning, fantastic sermon from Acts 12, Before the sermon, it started out with a video clip of where the greatest religious persecution is in the world. And number one, according to the video, for the 12th year in a row, is North Korea. Now, if I were a Christian living in North Korea, I'll bet my perspective of the world would be very different than my perspective is as a Christian living in Northwest Houston. We, we, we just have a tendency to see things through the focus of our lens. It's one reason I think it's a magnificent world that's going to turn upside down in some ways over the next generation. Because every generation, the world seems to be getting incredibly smaller. And our vision of the world is growing through the internet, through TV. I'm always amazed when I turn on the TV. We have hundreds of TV channels. Now, to some of you, that may not seem like a big deal. But when I grew up, we had three and a half. (laughs) We had ABC, NBC, CBS. And PBS was about half a station. Didn't really count as a full station. But this world is just changing. You can get on the internet and you can look up North Korea. You can get on Google Earth View and try as hard as the dictator of North Korea would like. You can Google Earth North Korea and zoom down pretty good and snoop on him. It's a different... How do you think we got the picture for the video of the prison in North Korea that was there this morning? Nobody called up Kim Jong-sick, ill, whatever his name is, and said, "Um, can we get a helicopter shot of your prison where you've put a bunch of Christians? Uh, We'd like to put it in our video labeling you the worst place in the world for believers. No. No. So how do you see the world? Is the world a place of joy and excitement? Is the world a place of barren crisis? Is the world a place of of, uh, uh, mixed blessings? Is the world a place of suspicion? Is the world a place of of, uh, opportunity? Are you a half-empty or a half-full person? There are different ways to see the world. Let's do the Elmo for just a moment if we could. Thank you. Oh, I forgot to shave. Oh, well. Comes and goes. Um, How do you see the world? Well, I want to suggest to you there are different ways to see it. You can see the world 
There we go. You can see the world as someone in northwest Houston. You could be me, which means you're going to see the world as a, a, a wasp. I am a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. A wasp. You can see the world differently if, if instead of being a Protestant, you're a Catholic. That might change it. Might change the way you see the world if instead of having my skin color, your skin color is a different one. Because it's going to change the way you grew up. Or it's going to change the way you, you, you experience sun. I don't know. If you're an albino, it probably changes the way you see some things in the world from the way I do. If you are not an Anglo-Saxon, but if you have a different historical cultural heritage, if you come from Guatemala and you're a Central American, you might see the world differently than I do. You might use different language. But I want to talk to you and challenge you about something different as we get into the lesson today. I don't want to talk to you about whether or not you are any of those things. I want to talk to you about are you seeing the world as a Christian believer or are you seeing the world as a creature of the world? That's the question. Because whether you're in crisis, like Pastor Avery talked about this morning, or whether you're not, how you see the world is affected by whether you see it as a Christian believer or whether you see it as someone in the world. I'm going to, we'll stay off the PowerPoint. Let's just go straight to the lesson while we've got the Elmo up. The first reading we were doing this in this week's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I mean chapter 2, starting with verse 6 and going through verse 16, the end of the chapter. And I just want to read this with you and I want to look at it and let's pause. Let's pick out the words that hopefully jump out of the page for you. Paul says, uh, I've got it on there, among the mature, I want you to remember that word, among the mature, we impart wisdom. Wisdom is the Greek word Sophia. Sophistry is something that parades as wisdom. Sophos is that word for wisdom. If you want to remember it, you want to remember the Greek word for wisdom? Raise your hand. Sophomore. Anybody, you were you ever a sophomore? Anybody a sophomore right now? Oh, Blake, don't tempt me. <clears throat> sophomore comes from two Greek words. Sophos, wise. You're no longer a freshman. Sophos, you're wise. And mores, we get the word moron from it. It means <laughs> fool. So a sophomore is someone who thinks they're wise, but they're still a fool. Literally. Okay? That helps you remember. So Paul, Paul says, 
among the mature, we impart wisdom. Although, it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. It's not a wisdom that you're going to see in the world. If you want to study the world's wisdom, you will not find the wisdom that Paul is imparting. And that's a good thing. Because this age and the rulers of this age are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. The way the Greek's written there, it means not only a wisdom that flows from God, but it's a wisdom about God as well. It's a wisdom that is God's wisdom, maybe is the way to say it, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Let's keep Paul's words here right. Paul says, we impart among the mature, we impart a wisdom. It's not the wisdom of the world. Which is a good thing because the wisdom of the world is going to go away with the world. But this wisdom was a wisdom that God had before the world even started. And he had it for our glory. The wisdom that Paul's talking about is something that has long preceded the world. And it's a wisdom that preceded the world as a wisdom for you. And for me, it's a personalized wisdom for us, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had understood this wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the world understood, and and I'm going to cheat for a moment. I'm going to define wisdom for you. I was going to make you figure it out. But hey, we got no more need for school right now except for the sophomores. Um, <clears throat> wisdom. Can't see it. Wisdom. All right. Wisdom. Here it is. Biblical wisdom. Sophos in the Greek. Wisdom is seeing things the way God does. That's wisdom. Wisdom, biblical wisdom, is seeing things the way God does. That's not the wisdom of the world. The world has a different perspective on things than God. To see things the way God sees them is wisdom. Keep that in your brain. We'll come back to it while we look at what Paul's writing here. So Paul says, none of the rulers of this age understood the way God saw things. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They would have known He was the Lord of glory. 
But as it's written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, if you've been in, in my classes much where I've talked about the Holy Spirit, I want to remind you of something that we've studied multiple times, but it, it's something that should always ring in your mind. In John 14, 15, and 16, the Gospel of John, Jesus has a dialogue with his apostles right before Jesus is arrested in Gethsemane. It's his final dialogue. And in that dialogue, Jesus is telling them what's about to happen to him. And the apostles are clueless and do not understand. Jesus says, uh, I'm about to go away, but where I go, I'll come back. If it weren't so, I would tell you in my father's house or many mansions. Thomas is like, where, where are you headed? Why can't we go? Well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. The apostles are clueless. In the midst of those three chapters, Jesus says, look, you're seeing things as the world sees it. You've got worldly wisdom. But I'm going to go away and the Father's going to send another, the Spirit of Truth. And the Spirit of Truth will teach you, will remind you, will convict you of the truth and bring glory to me. And when you have the Spirit inside you, you will understand that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and you're in me too. And I'm in you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us not only who Jesus is, but the entire truth of who we are as well. Paul recognized this and says the reason we have this understanding, this wisdom, is because God has revealed it to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, remember, what's wisdom? Biblical wisdom. Seeing things the way God does. The Spirit sees things the way God does. Because the Spirit is God. He's got the inside track on that one. Who knows a person's thoughts? Who's going to see things the way you see them except you? How many people really know what you're thinking right now? I know what you're thinking. <laughs> no, I don't. How many people really know what you're thinking right now? You do. So who knows what God is thinking? Except the Spirit of God. Now, we've received not the Spirit of the world. We've received the capital S Spirit, who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We impart this in words not taught by human sophos, but taught by the Spirit, 
interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. A spiritual person who sees the world the way God sees it will be deemed crazy or nutty or a bit out there by people who don't understand the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world. They see the world differently than we do. It's just the truth. I met with... uh, uh, you know, I'm about to go to trial. I met with a lawyer who's who's really good at at understanding uh, some of the dynamics of of jurors in Dallas and what the jury pool looks like and things like that. And uh, uh, I had a meeting with her briefly uh, last uh, week while we were there, and and I was sitting talking to her, and and you've heard me reference her before because uh, she's. Unique in in the way she functions in some of this stuff. But she says to me, as we're sitting there, she's been working really hard for the last several years to try and unlock my brain. She's, She's a psychologist as well as a lawyer. PhD psychologist. And so she, about every, I have a serious talk with her probably every three months, let's say. And it's always interesting because every three months she's made more progress, she thinks, in figuring out me. So this last time, she's, she's, she was originally an atheist. Now, I don't know where she is on that scale right now, but she's, she's got a thing for a Buddhist monk right now. So I think she's into Buddhism. But, but in the process, she said to me the other day, I figured out why you work. Because you spend time in prayer, and that's the same as meditation, and meditation centers you. And I just smiled and said, well, you know, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I said, I I, I don't affirm that as the way it is. I said, I think it's that There really is a God. And my prayer time is time spent in communication with that God. And I said, and actually, while I'll set aside time each day to pray, there's this ongoing dialogue that I'm having with him right now. Trying to figure out how to best explain who he is to you. (laughs) Because he's very real. And if I've got a centeredness... My centeredness does not come from the fact that I am able to empty myself each morning during quiet time uh, of any thoughts as I meditate and become one with the universe. It's that each morning I ask my Lord and God what He would like for me to do for Him today and how can He help me do it and how can I better enable others to do it. And I pray for my nephews and my nieces and my friends and my children and my, 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 my siblings and their spouses and, and my, my mom and I, I've got a list. But it's not because I'm trying to become one with the universe. It's because there is someone that I trust with this stuff and I think he sees the world right. And my goal in this life is to see the world the way he does. 
That's, that's, that's the goal here. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. Bless her heart, she still thinks I'm a bit of a fruitcake. And to the world, mea culpa in Latin, my fault. I am a fruitcake to the world. I just don't think the world sees truth the way truth really is. I think the world's got, okay, uh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, that's the name of it. Who's read them? Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Who's read it? Do you remember the duffel puds? The duffel puds. The duffel puds are these one foot, one leg creatures that bounce around everywhere. And the duffel puds are so convinced they see the world right, the master they work for, he is a tricky, wretched taskmaster. Do you know why? Because he created this stream that goes right by their fields so that they could get buckets of water to water their plants from the stream. That tricky, tricky taskmaster. He doesn't want them. He doesn't want them to have to hop five miles away to get the water in the bucket where they hop back and all the water slushes out. He doesn't want them to do that because he's out to ruin their lives. And in the Duffel Puds concept, well, let's just go and see S. Lewis's concept. We're a bunch of Duffel Puds. And God is the taskmaster. And God has done all of these wonderful things for us and said, here, this is the way it is. This is truth. It's really a lot better if you get the water from right there and take it here instead of marching and hopping all the way down to the auditorium with a bucket and bringing it back. And there are a bunch of people in the world whose reaction is, oh, he's tricking us. He's tricking us. I'm not going to fall for getting that water. I'm going all the way down there and getting that auditorium water. And he's just like going, Duh. There's a difference in the way you see the world. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. They're foolish. You've got now the mores part of the sophomore. Because they don't understand them. Because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, he judges, he discerns, he can tell the difference. Who's understood the mind of the Lord to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. So let's go back to the PowerPoint. So the question is, how do you see the world? And the answer is, you can see the world with wisdom, the way God sees it. Or you can see the world the way the world sees it. Now, to supplement that reading in the context Bible this week, what we had, I added Daniel chapters 5 and 6. Let's just look at Daniel chapter 5 for just a moment. Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is not put together chronologically. So Daniel chapter 5, Daniel's near the end of his life. And I've borrowed Rembrandt's picture. I don't think he'd mind. 
He painted it for people to see it, I figure. So Rembrandt's picture, the king, Belshazzar, is having a massive drunken bash. I didn't make that up. It's in the text. As Pastor Avery would say, it's in the text. He's having a massive, they've drunk and drunk and drunk. Thousand people. Big party. And all of a sudden, a hand starts writing on the wall. Now, if you've had a lot to drink, and you have you have a vision of a handwriting on the wall, you can probably just let it go. But when everybody is seeing the same handwriting on the wall, you realize it might not be simply because you've had a lot to drink. So the king doesn't know what to do. He's This has really put a damper on his party. It was not scheduled entertainment. So the king says, bring in the wise people. And the wise people of the world come in and they don't have a clue. Oh, don't get me wrong. They can read it. They can read the mene, mene, tekel, pestle, pestle. Thank you. Gesundheit. They can read it. But they don't know what it, the significance of it. I mean, it's not just someone's writing graffiti on the wall. It's something's writing on the wall, a message. What's the import? So the wisdom of the world can't figure it out. One of the, one of the queens says to the king, says, Hey, in your father's time, there was this really wise guy. His name was Daniel. They called him Belteshazzar. Uh, uh, he, he had wisdom by the tail, man. He could see things. He, he had a special line. And in comes Daniel being summoned. Daniel says, yeah, I got this. He says, you've been measured in the scales and found wanting by God your life is going to be taken from you this night. Now, I've put into your written materials some of the secular story of this because the secular accounts mesh very well with the penalty that Daniel says was going to be exacted upon the king. I'm not into those details in the class. It's in the lesson. You can read them if you want them. But what I want us to understand in the context and flow of what Paul's talking about is there is a wisdom from God that is different than the wisdom of the world. And we see it here. And your vision of the world and your vision of wisdom affects your character and your life. Here's Daniel, a man with wisdom, and he's got humility. And he's got an understanding of what God is about. You compare him to the king and all of his wise counselors, so-called wise. And they don't have a clue. And he's living in pride. The same disease that caused Herod in Acts 12 to be afflicted with worms and, and put to death by the angel does not see wisdom as the world, as God sees it, sees it as the world sees it, 
and that vision of what reality is, your vision of what the world is like affects your character. I'm not just saying, hey, I want to see the world the way God sees it because I want some uh, uh, cool focus. How we see the world affects how we grow and develop the things we think about, the things we explore, the things we invest in, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our energy, the way we spend our emotions. I've got a good friend who told me recently, he said, Mark, I live in 100-day increments. He has a stage 4 melanoma. And they've taken tissue out from his spine. They've taken tissue out, uh, cancers from his spine, tumors from his shoulder, uh, multiple tumors. Right now he doesn't have any tumors, but he's got the stage 4 melanoma still in his system. All of the markers are there. It's there. It's just a question of when it pops up. And every 100 days, he goes in for the scan to see if it's popped up again. And if it's popped up and it's operable or treatable, then they take it out. If it hasn't popped up, he's on another 100-day stint. When it pops up, if it pops up and it's in an organ that's inoperable, then he knows where the terminal line is. My friend is younger than I am. He has two teenage boys. Actually, one's not a teenager yet. 11 and 13. And a wife. And I talked to him about it and he said, you know, Mark, living in 100-day increments, which he's been doing now for over a year, changes your perspective on life. He says, it's so weird. He said, I find myself sitting down with my sons and I just want to say to them, I'm going to show you, you know, I've got to teach you how to tie these three knots because every boy needs to know it. But you've got to pay attention because I may not have time to do this again. You know, I'm going to take my boys on this, this trip. I've got to teach them how to fish. I've got to teach them this. I've got to teach them that. I need to redo the bathroom for my wife that I promised for the last 10 years I'd redo. Because I don't want to be gone and her to spend the rest of her life cursing the fact that I never did that bathroom that I said for 10 years I would. So I've got to find time to do that. It changes the way you see things. How you view the world changes your character and it changes the way you live. That alone is reason to say, Lord, give me wisdom, a prayer that James says God will answer. Lord, help me see the world the way you see the world. Okay. Next. As we continue with Paul in Corinthians in the fourth chapter, we see that how you see the world not only affects how you view life and affects the way you think and affects how you live, but you can look at how you live, you can look at your actions and determine how you see the world. See, it's like a thermometer too. It not only will drive you, but you can look at how you have been driven and it will tell you where you've come. I was talking to, sorry, my brain is in trial mode right now. I live in a, I live in a trial tunnel. So I tend to interpret everything by what I'm, I'm doing right now. 
And Tuesday, the day after tomorrow, the day after Labor Day, we pick the jury in this case. And I have a friend, a mentor lawyer, who's in his 70s now. But I was talking to him about how he went about jury selection. And he said to me the following. He said, I don't like to put really young people on the jury. I said, why? He said, because I don't know what they're going to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, you give me someone who's walked a long road and I can look at where they've been and I can tell you where they're headed. But you give me some kid who hadn't been walking long enough, there's no telling where he's headed. I need to know where they've been to know where they're going. If I don't know where they've been, I don't know. That's a perception that's very accurate. You can, not only will how you see the world shape the way you live and think, but you can look at how you live and think and figure out how you've been seeing the world. What path got you here? Because some people need to make an adjustment in their path. That's the value. There are parts of my life where I need to make adjustments. So we get that if we continue to read Paul as we look, I'm sorry, at chapter 3, not chapter 4 now. Paul's writing a bunch of uh, people who've fragmented in the church. They all have their favorites. I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, do you see how that flows back to how Paul started this dialogue? It's a different chapter the way we've put chapter numbers on, but Paul didn't have chapter numbers. So this whole section, Paul started out, let's go back to 2, verse 6. He said, among the mature, we impart wisdom. Then he says, but I could not address you as spiritual people, a wisdom that comes from the Spirit, because you're a bunch of infants in Christ. You're babies. You're not mature. You have not seen the world enough through God's eyes to reach a state of maturity. And you can see it by the way you're living. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it yet. You're not ready yet. You're still of the flesh. There's jealousy among you. There's strife among you. You're behaving only in a human way. You're not behaving like people who see the world the way God sees it. You're behaving like a bunch of people who just are people. Jealousy. Strife. Then he goes into you know, the divisions. One of you follows Paul. One of you follows Apollos. So I, I, I follow Apollos. Some are really holy. I follow Jesus. I don't follow Paul or Apollos. I just follow Christ. He said, no, 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 no. Look, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Here's, here's God's view. Here's wisdom. Here's God's view. God's view is not, uh, Paul's the guy who came first to the church and he started it and he may look a little old and crumpled and he may not talk as forcefully, but he's the starter and I'm going to dance with who brung me. 
Then, yeah, but Apollos, man, he's smooth. He's got the lingo. He's got the, I'm, I'm an Apollos guy. And I mean, Apollos is named after one of our old gods before we became believers, you know? Kind of, Paul says, don't see the world the way the world does. Let me tell you what truth is. Let me tell you how God sees it. Let me give you the wisdom insight. Who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are servants through whom you believed as God assigned to each. God gave us a job to do. I planted. I came first. Apollos came later. He watered. So the one who plants, the one who waters, they're nothing. The only one who's something is God who is giving the growth. God who gives the growth is the one that counts. The one who plants, the one who waters, eh, we're just doing what we're paid to do. We're doing what the job God gave us. We're just God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. I can lay a foundation. I can do all of this stuff. But the only thing that counts is what God's doing. The world's perspective really doesn't matter. It's all passing away. The rulers of the world, the rulers of this age, it's all passing away. The only thing that counts is God's vision and what he's doing. Everything else is gone. And Paul continues through this with the analogy, but we'll jump down to to bring this part to a close with this. So don't let anyone deceive themselves. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, become a fool so that you can really be wise. The wisdom of this world, the way the world sees things, is folly with God. Would you rather hold on to something foolish before God or something wise before God? Let's grow up. Let's see the world for the way God sees it. Let's let's do Look, God says he catches the wise in their craftiness. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. Don't be boasting. Don't boast in Paul. Don't boast in Apollos. Don't boast in Cephas, which is Greek for Peter. Don't boast in any of those things. The world or life or death or the present or the future. You get it all. Everything that counts, everything you could want, everything, you get it all in Jesus. You get that perspective in your frame of mind. And then when that crisis hits, like Pastor Avery was talking about this morning, like all of us experience, you don't have to hit the red panic button. Because you know that crisis, you want to see it the way God sees it. God, how are you going to work through this? I can't wait to see. What what role do I need to take? Where do you want me to plug in, God? As Pastor Avery said, what's my next step? And my next step? And my next step? I want to be in. I want to be plugged in. I want to see it the way you see it. I want to live it the way you see it. And I want to do what you want me to see. Or do it the way you see it, excuse me. Something like that. So, back to the PowerPoint. Your actions 
show how you see things. If you're living in jealousy, you're living in bitterness, you're living in strife. It tells you you need to tune in a little better to how God sees the world. There are likely events that have happened to you that make you feel this way or see this way. That's a fact. You, you, you could look as a lawyer. I deal with broken people a lot. People who have had horrible things happen to them in their lives. I represent a fine young lady who is driving a car and the car shuts off in the middle of her drive. She's not speeding. But when that car shuts off, the car, uh, you, you lose steering, you lose braking, and you lose airbags. The car thought it was off, even though she's going 55 miles an hour, up 59, going home for Christmas. One in the afternoon. So the car spins out of control. She goes off the road, gets smashed up. Jaws of life have to come get her out for two hours. She's sitting in that car. She has a double amputation right here. 27-year-old, beautiful young lady. She's not growing those legs back. There is... That will affect... Not only her the rest of her life, but the way she sees things. Now, that's an extreme example. There are people, though, who've had emotional trauma of a similar like manner. How can you take someone who's been through some of the trauma that is so despicable that it makes some people even rebel against the idea there is a God. And what Paul is saying, what Scripture is saying, what God says is, if that has created in you some ungodliness, anger that's misplaced, jealousies, hatreds, strife, worry, if that's created in you some things that are ungodly, then what we need is God to give us wisdom. To see things the way God sees them. Because we have a God who grieves over tragedy. We have a God who does not like it, it, you know, the, the untimely death of a child. We have a God who grieves over that. And yet we have a God who redeems, who can take the horror and find some way to bring blessing. It's profound. And we'd like to say, no, 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 a God should not do that. Well, this is a battlefield. That's what Scripture teaches. That's God's wisdom. This is a war that's going on. In North Korea, you really can get killed if you believe in God. Jesus. That's a fact. This is a battlefield and God's at work in the battlefield through us. We are his co-workers to bring about his will. So your actions will show how you see things. And sometimes our actions will tell us 
we need to see things differently. We need to go back and let God be the God of the past as well of today. So, now, um, next. Time will prove the truth. Now, we have some people in here who are younger than the age of 20. And you don't really understand what that picture is that I put on the PowerPoint. So for those of you under the age of 20, I've got another way of showing it. <laughs> Can I embarrass my nephew for a moment? Will Ryan, how old were you when you learned how to read one of those? 15, 16. He just never saw the need. I'm joking. He was not that old. They never saw the need. That's a clock. It's to evoke in us this idea of time. Because here's the reason why. As Paul says in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, time will prove the truth of God's wisdom. Look at chapter 4. This is how, and, and again, Paul's point is, he's showing the immaturity of the Corinthians by the way they saw Paul and the other apostles. He says, this is how you should see us. This is how you should regard us, as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mystery of God, mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. So I've, I'm supposed to be trustworthy. Now, Paul's writing to people who, the, the, the folks who followed Apollos or who followed others wrongfully would slander Paul. And so Paul's saying, I don't care how you or anybody who's a human judges me. I mean, honestly, if I've got God's wisdom, if I'm seeing things the way God sees it, do you really think it's going to just rip my soul to shreds? If you see things differently, if you judge me, you know, I love teaching Sunday school. I would be in turmoil if I were the pulpit minister. There's a cricket. I would be in turmoil. <laughs> so Becky and I were in Oaxaca, Mexico one time, and they had crickets on the breakfast buffet. And, uh, um, and, and so just kind of to see if I could make her sick, I had them put some in my scrambled eggs. And then the rest of the day, I would try to make her laugh by going making cricket sounds. And the first time she'd say, what are you doing? I said, I got two of the legs stuck between my teeth. And every time I move them, it's just rip, 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 rip. Anyway, she didn't think it was that funny. But I was, I remember it because I still think it was funny. So I would no more want to be the pulpit minister. I mean, if God called me to do that, praise the Lord. But he didn't. And I'm real thankful. Because if you're the pulpit minister, if you're Pastor David, then everybody who comes to this church ultimately is kind of like your boss, sort of. I mean, hey, I go to the church. I write the checks. 
But here, I just teach Sunday school. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. I don't care. They got some great Sunday school class. If I were attending Sunday school, I'm not sure I'd come to this one. Sometimes I don't like me. But there's some great classes out there. Paul's attitude is, is, I don't really care what you think about me. As long as I, I, I care what God thinks about me. Now, having said that, he's still human. He says, but you shouldn't be thinking these horrible things about me because I'm not a terrible person. Uh, so, uh, and, and then he starts making fun of them. And he says, <laughs> I almost say he's making fun of them. That's not very pious. But he's making fun of them. Because, you see, they had told Paul that, that in their letter to Paul, this is not the first letter between them. They've already written Paul. And they told Paul that they've got everything they want. They're already rich. They don't need Paul. They don't need, you know, they're doing fine now. And Paul writes and says, oh, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. Oh, would that you reign so that we might get to hang around with you. Oh, it'd just be so neat if you were really as cool as you thought you were. God's just exhibit us apostles as the last of all. Y'all think you're so great. And we're just men like, like men. That cricket again. Men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle. We're fools for Christ's sake. But you're so wise in Christ. See, Paul could bite. And he's biting here. We're weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We don't wear your ritzy clothes. We don't have a house. We have to work for a living. When people revile us and make fun of us, we bless them. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we entreat. We've become an art. We're like the scum of the world. The trash of everything. He says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. But I want to admonish you, my beloved children. Whoops. Mode, mode, no signal. There we go. I want to admonish you, beloved children. Though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. And I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So be imitators of me. And he goes on to talk about how he teaches everyone in the church. And he says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but the power. He says, I'm going to come back. And all of these people that are saying Paul's this and Paul's that, they're going to get to say it to my face. Because I'm going to declare the power of the Lord to them. And time does this. Time proves the truth of God. Absolutely and unequivocally, it happens. So if we go back to PowerPoint, we'll close with these takeaways. Number one. I'm going to pray for wisdom. I want wisdom. I want to see the world the way God sees it. How cool would that be? How cool and insightful. Do you realize if I could get some wisdom, I'd be like 50,000 times a better teacher for you guys. 
If I could see the world the way God sees it more clearly, what a benefit I'd be to my family. What a benefit I'd be to the kingdom. What a benefit I'd be to me. Because when I pray for wisdom to see the way the world, the world, the way God sees it, then I'm going to be watching my attitudes. And where I've got attitudes and I've got issues and I've got problems, if I may need to get help, but I'm going to figure out where those come from and I'm going to try to get them fixed by God. I'm going to let God's light shine on those. Let God's wisdom, let His insight, let His understanding, let the mind of the Spirit permeate who I am and what I do. And then I'm going to praise God's work over time because He will bring to fruition, as He said to the Philippians, Paul wrote to the Philippians, I am confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over all of us, please. Lord, I come before you with my brothers and my sisters spiritually on my knees. Beseeching you, Lord, give us wisdom. Put your spirit speaking forcefully and loudly right on the walls of our minds and our hearts. Your wisdom. May we see the world the way you see it. May we see the lost the way you see them. May we see our families. May we see our friends. May we see our jobs. May we see our opportunities. May we see our church. May we see all of the world around us the way you see it. And Lord, where we're still childish in our actions and in our attitudes and in our mindsets, would you grow us up in your spirit? To be more like your son. Heal us where we need healing. Bind up our wounds. Put their holy salve on them. Transform who we are. And Father, may we all praise you as we watch your hand work these things out to your glory. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. 